Welcome to the latest of our podcasts from our ARA seminar workshop series, New Concepts, New Challenges, New Formats, Envisaging the Creative Work PhD in an African Research University. I'm Christo Doherty. This is a dialogue between the recent Arts Research Africa artist-in-residence, Prof. Atul Bala, and Professor David Andrew about the experience of creating his installation, Looking for Lost Water, Explorations at the Cradle, for the Watershed Conference here at Witz campus. And they'll be discussing the challenges of artistic research from a Global South perspective. Atul Bala is Associate Professor in the Department of Art Design and Performing Arts at the Shivnada University in Delhi. He's a conceptual artist whose work has been exhibited widely in the US, at the Pompidou Center in Paris, in Valencia, Spain, London, Shanghai, and India. Professor Bala spent time in Johannesburg in 2012 as a fellow of the Nyrox Foundation, exploring in particular illegal mining and water sources around the city. For the creation of his watershed installation in 2018, he used a methodology he's employed in recent years in Shanghai, Hamburg and elsewhere, with an initial reconnaissance and a research visit, then a longer visit culminating in the fabrication and installation of the work. David Andrew is Associate Professor and Head of the Division of Visual Arts, the Witt School of Arts. He studied at the University of Natal in Pietermaritzburg and the University of the Vodafone, Johannesburg, where he earned his PhD in 2011. He's an artist and lectures in fine arts and arts education courses at both undergraduate and postgraduate levels. His current research interests include tracking the histories of art education in South Africa and Southern Africa more broadly, and the reimagining of the art school and artistic research in the context of the Global South. So as Christo said, I think the opportunity to engage in, in dialogue and discussion today arises out of the the major project that has just taken place at Wits University on campus and off campus, the Watershed Art, Science and Elemental Politics program. And for me, one of the most important things about this project, I mean, there are many important things, but one of the most important things for me is the manner in which the program intersected and continues to intersect with the university's substantial commitment to creative research. And the Wits School of Arts's leading role in deepening understandings in, through, and around creative and arts research. And perhaps we will get into this a bit later, but I'm not going to get into the choice of whether it should be creative research, arts research, or artistic research. You'll probably find me kind of moving across the three during the discussion. But I think it's that through these deepened understandings, we at the School of Arts are interested in ways in which newly imagined futures are generated through inter- and cross-disciplinary practice. And I think that that was a very, very crucial part of the Watershed Project. And I think it started to open up a whole series of possibilities across this university, but I think these possibilities projected into a, a broader society as well. And I think central to the Watershed Art Science and Elemental Politics program was the major work that you produced, Atul, the installation uh, titled Looking for Lost Water, Explorations at the Cradle, an installation that comprised photographs and performative photographs, video with sculptural and textual interventions. And I'm hoping that many of the, th those of us in, the, in this room and those who will hear the recording were able to experience that installation. So Atul, you visited uh, Johannesburg back in 2012. You were a, a fellow of the Nyrox Foundation, and it was then that your, your interest in the notions of water 
in and around Johannesburg started. I think that for some time your understanding of water has been a repository of history, a repository of meaning and myth, broadly speaking, but in the Johannesburg context, particularly within the area of gold mining, I think that's when it started to develop. So that will be the focus of the first part of this dialogue today, and I'm certainly very, very pleased to be able to engage in this dialogue with you. I'm pleased that you are, are back, even in virtual form, at WITS. Just a quick um, word about Atul. His interest in, in water particularly, and I'm pleased that uh, Christo included the Looking for Lost Water in the title of this dialogue, because I think it acts as a pointer to the installation that was produced. But also I think there's something metaphoric about it. I think there's something about the kind of inquiry that we are involved in uh, in artistic research. So this is an ongoing interest. I think it's more than an interest. There's a kind of intense commitment and conviction about this project around water. So Atul has continued to explore the physical, historical, spiritual and political significance of water in the urban environment of New Delhi and many of his artworks engage with this interest, with this commitment and this conviction. And I think that's where we're going to start the dialogue. So Atul, what I'd like you to ask you to do is to give us some background to the particular installation that you produced for Watershed. Perhaps you can give us a sense of the, the specifics of the work but also in relation to the, the broader project that you have been involved in for some time. So if you could speak about the focus of that installation at the Chamber of Mines building in relation to the ongoing practice that you've been involved in over many years. Thank you, David, for that introduction. And thank you, Christo, and to Wits University and to Lenore Manderson for having invited me to Johannesburg to do that wonderful project. It was David and Lenore that kind of offered me the space at the Chamber of Mines. And I said, but would you like to do something at the Chamber of Mines? So, I mean, I immediately jumped to the opportunity because a lot of my work is about subverting existing notions and existing spaces and existing hierarchies. So when I kind of jumped at the opportunity, it I mean, even though later I thought, oh, my God, how am I going to fill the whole space up? Because I almost I was using the whole of the atrium. But that is what I exactly wanted to do is to bring the gold mine dump to the site or to the people or the students and the faculty who actually are going to produce more of those dumps. Because some of them, I mean, when I put this photo, these scrolls that you see in the atrium, are all close-up images of gold mine dumps. And just after the rain, shot in December, just after a kind of a week of rain, and there's contents of sulfur. Obviously, all these sites are toxic, with use of cyanide and mercury, and all other chemicals which are used for gold extraction. So the all sites are toxic, and you find them all over Johannesburg. So if they're all over Johannesburg, why don't you be bring them in, even though virtually, into the Chamber of Mines, where the engineers who are aspiring to be mining engineers can actually kind of engage with what they actually do to the land, right? So that's one. The other thing is that the whole atrium, I wanted to kind of cut out 
space and make another space within the atrium where you could contemplate certain objects which are placed on the floor and those that were placed on the floor were the pandukas the pandukas are objects which are actually uh, used or uh, recycled oxygen cylinders and the another thing is oxygen here which is important and air is extremely important when you mine and all of those are actually recycled oxygen cylinders which are cut and then uh, used by the zamazamas the illegal gold miners which are spread around johannesburg just next to the so called defunct mines or even the mines which are currently in use and all of these are within the shanties and there are an estimate around 50000 zamazamas within johannesburg itself and all come from different communities some of them are local communities and all of them have kind of established themselves according to their tribes according to the countries that they come from and all of them have a very well oiled network of production sale resale and everything else and this also the notion that land in south africa see i come from india and the first thing we got independence in 1947 and the first thing that happened after independence was land reform all the zamindars which are the land owners most of the land they just kept 10% of their land the rest of the land was actually given to the landless farmers and said whoever till the land would own the land even today if you have somebody farming land if he farm the same land for 2 years he can claim it to be his this kind of thing hasn't taken place in south africa i know it is a contentious subject currently with the whole thing of taking over land without compensation and the surveys are going on and to address this i also wanted to use the white chair wanted to use the white chair remember the from the photographs and the images that i showed at presentations i had used a white a chair clad in white corduroy actually i found it at one of my hosts dining hall and i kind of wanted to use it as a symbol of land reform having not taken place and who owns the land in south africa so gold mining is also about land who owns land and who owns what's under it so all this politics i wanted to bring in i also wanted to bring in the chair i wanted to bring in the gold miners illegal zamazamas i wanted to bring in gold and i also implicate myself because i am from india and indians consume the maximum amount of gold in the world and the gold leaf that was used on the pandukas was actually brought back from india so it might have been the same gold mined from the same mine or uh, from which the zamazamas may be collecting their ore and i i actually am putting the gold leaf on the same <laughs> penduka which is then exhibited within the chamber of mines so for me it becomes a very interesting project to kind of implicate myself implicate the university that is inviting me and then bring into focus what actually goes on on the land that was my intention atul i don't think that you've spoken about the the work that perhaps wasn't realized as you wanted it to be realized the work on the facade of the chamber of mines building the large yellow banners so what my intention 
is in most of my installations is so that the viewer takes back something with him besides the visual besides something else you take back something and the best thing for me is always to take back a question my idea was to actually take back a question and during my travels in and around johannesburg it seemed like how, how would how would i describe the relationship to the mine dumps and to the city so i came across certain words which and challenged the whole notion that the city has to this land and to its landscape and so obviously excavated distance of gold so this thing is that johannesburg is one of those cities which has not really on water been actually on a gold mine one of the i think there just one or two other cities which are actually not near real water or not near flowing water or a river or a large reservoir of water we been a city which came up literally on gold mine and what is excavated is never connected to the city or people who actually excavate so i came upon the whole notion of the excavated distance of gold Similarly, the thing is of the ocean of disparity. I also come from a country which is the level of disparity are continuously increasing. I felt similar things within South Africa, especially Johannesburg, right? And then this thing of almost here, there, all the shanties, all the workers, essentially where most of the African workers would stay. are still outside city limits even though some some people to other spaces and to new housing spaces but traditional cities remain essentially white so it's same again that if you look at in the back context of almost here still there then you have the unseen depth of dust so the thing is that the dust if you climb one of those hills and and if it's not be having rain especially in winter but actually sink into the mine because the dust is so soft that you can actually sink in but the depth of that dust is still not marked because the depth depends on what it consumes and it consumes number of lives and it consumes huge huge number of resources and what you have in return is only comes to a very small minority of the world and of johannesburg imagine water red it's also about contamination is the sulfur and the ferric oxide within water residue flow reflected what is the residue and what is reflected and you have try try turn time which refers to the zamazamas wanted to use zulu as a language because i think that's the that's the largest majority of africans within the johannesburg area would know zulu i wanted to work within zulu kind of overshadow it with not using a colonial language which i do in most of my installations distant falls hills refers to hills which at the distance seem part of the landscape but when you go closer you realize that these are falls man made hills and the country is not really countryside is not as rolling as it seems and then what around these mind dumps is actually two gum trees and that's all that grows on it 
So it's this whole notion of the landscape and what you think as the landscape. And I met somebody recently who said he's been looking at how the landscape has been changing because part of the mine dumps are kind of moving and they kind of remining them. So how slowly city kind of changes and you don't really, really get to know. Then obviously black mine white and then black drained red refers to red as a color and its connotations and the fact is of ownership whose mines are they really and the fact is that mining even though you find references to gold mining if you look up the wikipedia you look up google that gold was mined previous to the colonial empires coming into africa but essentially mining comes with the white man coming to africa just like anywhere else and if you look at languages, if you look at the Sangoma languages, and you look at the words that are used for mining, words that are used for gold, words that are used to go under the earth, are all words which come up later and they have not been part of traditional languages within the area. So there are huge things that mining has brought in and changed that has brought in. And all of this was part of the research. And it kind of gave number of ways that one could approach the art project and kind of present it as well. You were talking a little bit about your research process, and perhaps this offers us an opportunity to shift the discussion from the, the really, really rich accounts that you've given of the work produced for the Watershed Project. I think one of the really important parts of the walkabout, talk about that you gave to students and some staff in the Chamber of Mines building was a discussion around your methodology and perhaps that will give us an opportunity to move into a discussion where we start to talk about the practices that you've been involved in for some time as being artistic research. But perhaps what you'd like to do is to just give us a sense of the kind of methodology or methodologies that you bring to the projects that you've been able to realize at the Chamber of Mines building, but certainly the projects that you've done prior to that as well. I'm thinking particularly of the manner in which you speak about how the site becomes really important and how one really begins to immerse oneself in that site as part of the research project, as part of the methodology that you take on. So if you'd speak to that, please. Every project has a little slightly different change methodology, but what I try to do is try to find meanings of what I am interested in, what do they mean to the local people that I interact with. What do the hills mean to local people from Johannesburg? And what does the land mean to it? What does the dust mean to people locally? And what does water mean to local people? And how do, how is it kind of kind of used? So I use a number of things. I especially in the Johannesburg context I kind of revisited a lot of sites like you mentioned, I was there in two thousand twelve and my visits to Kruger Dope were extremely important in two thousand twelve. And it was almost a kind of a project left undone. So when I came back in December of 2017 for a three-week research period, I was I went back to Dugostop because it, it was remained a mining town, and and there are some mines there which are still active, and it has huge mine dumps around it, and it has a colony of which used to be mine workers earlier, but there's a huge difference between the city and Janti, right? Where now you have Samazama. It has almost stayed like that for, I would say, 
you know, forever, or maybe there hasn't been much of a change since 1994. So one looks into that and say, okay, and being an outsider, things might look a little different, or I might be able to see things which people locally would not be able to. So the aspect of talking to local people, both black and white, and workers, non-workers, everybody else, makes a huge difference in kind of looking at how they look at themselves. So it was kind of eating at local spaces, whether it's in the shanties or in the mining spaces, eating at local restaurants, and then talk to local people, and also having an intern who was able to kind of translate a lot of things for me. So the idea is to continuously go back at sites. Earlier I was there in the month of July, this time I was here in the month of December, then I came here again in the month of September to kind of do the installation. So you have a pretty good idea of how the site changes with the sun, with the rain, and with time as well. So it's about a certain relationship, and there's a favorite hill of mine. I don't know whether one can call a mine dump as a favorite hill, but I do have a favorite hill. This is just behind uh, Kruger Stop, on, just next to the highway on the right hand side to go from Johannesburg. And it's extremely white sand, and I had collected sand from the site. I still have it in a bottle in Delhi with me, even though it's highly toxic. But the thing is, it's about relationship to site and also kind of doing that. I continuously go back, look at that and how the site changes, what does the site do and what happens around. Now you have people selling fences, people selling fruits, etc. next to the site as well. Then there's a cool colony which has come up behind it where the number of Zama-Zamas has also increased since 2012. All of this kind of grows in. You have to be on the side, at, at the floor, on the ground, you know, walking, talking to people, and that's my strategy. And also how to intervene with questions, you know, how to intervene with the local language. What if I do something, you know, it's like, even though most of the words that I use were English, I got them translated into Zulu, then, you know, asking around people, does this mean anything to you? And then if you get a respondents that yeah it's raising some questions you know are you trying to question this and that and that kind of thing makes me think that okay i'm successful the person is getting what i'm trying to question is his own relationship to the side to these sides and is and also to a lot of other people well it's, it's about immersing oneself on the site and also immersing oneself within people who live there so that's extremely important for thanks atul I mean, you've been involved in these practices for, for decades. You've produced some extraordinary work over a lengthy period of time. Do you consider this work that you have produced as creative research, as arts research, as artistic research? I mean, is that something that is present in your thinking as you are conducting these projects, as you're realizing them? And I suppose this is a question that I'm interested in engaging all the artists who are part of the, the residency programs that we are involved in over the next few years and trying to understand the myriad forms of what I'm referring to as artistic research and in doing that trying to establish a, a range of possibilities that colleagues in the School of Arts and students certainly can draw upon. But I'd be very interested to hear you speak even briefly about whether in fact this is artistic research now the thing is that i would say it's research it's a research project 
but whether it's creative research or artistic research or art research i mean the thing is that in these times it's interdisciplinary i have to use tools which anthropologists use i have to use tools which sociologists use i have to use tools which scientists use right so the thing is that it's not only artistic creative research i think we have to rely on a number of other disciplines to do our research so we have to do our homework homework is research when we enter a different culture a different space a different physical space and everything else so the thing is that i have to rely on sociology on anthropology on science what what is the substance what does the gold mine dust excavated dust consist of right what is the composition of water you know how much space does it take up how much gold is there in the world if you go by google the total amount of gold in the world is about you know 3 to or 5 olympic size swimming pools but if you go to one gold mine dump it is about 20000 times the olympic size swimming pool so one makes these kind of analogies through your work but the thing is as an artist you make interventions you can make really true or pertinent interventions if you have a good research so the thing is that you cannot in today's day and time actually work without research without interrogating your space the people and you know the site that you work at the research is extremely important because okay, so actually what i'm hearing you say very very clearly and powerfully is that artists working on the kinds of projects that that you're involved in need to be drawing on a whole range of possibilities in terms of how research is conducted research methodologies and so forth and i think that that speaks very very powerfully to what we need to conceive of in a, a school of arts in terms of making available particular tools i think you named them as and making them available to students that are working with us what is your feeling about the descriptor artistic research as i said to you in the email exchange we had the curator chus martinez in that wonderful article that she wrote for documenta 13 i think it was she describes artistic research as an awful term i quite like it and at the same time i quite like the fact that she's uh, describing it as an awful term but what's what's your feeling is it useful to be uh, calling it artistic research it seems to me that you're pointing to to something more complex no i don't know see the thing is that we have to engage with science now you want to call it artistic research creative research or you want to call it whatever you want to call it or you want to call it awful but what is artistic search is research is that you are engaged and you are interrogating a site you are interrogating a space you are interrogating people in it and you are interrogating the politics in a certain space you are interrogating all the looking into contestations in that space that is what research is now if you want to call it all artistic research awful i'm fine right now the thing is that if the word awful has been used in terms of the visual arts kind of appropriating all other research then i don't think so i think we artists will have to rely a lot of other disciplines actually help us to engage meaningfully with spaces thanks atu i think a last question from my side before we open up for questions and comments from others in the room i mean do you think that there is something distinctive that is emerging from 
the so-called artistic research that is coming from the global south? Is there something distinctive in relation to what is present, say, from North America and Europe? And I'm reminded of the comment that you made to me when we were looking at the banners on the facade of the Chamber of Mines building, where you spoke about confrontation. But yes, yes, is there something more distinctive about the kind of artistic research that emerges from the Global South, in your view? I think it is distinctive. What's happening within the Global South, whether it's South America, not that I know much of South America, but what comes out of Asia, what is coming out of Africa, is extremely important. And the confrontations that are happening with Europe are extremely important. And if you look at a certain comment in The Economist today, saying that China is actually taking over Africa, China is taking over Europe, they're putting in money. But it was fine for Europe to take over Africa. It was fine for European companies to move into India and China and to kind of sell their product, but it's not okay for an Asian country to move into Africa or to move into even Europe. And that kind of defines how Europe also looks at Africa and looks at Europe, looks at the, the global south. Because the, the confrontation is producing extremely important works and, and the confrontation and the whole interconnectedness within the global south, like coming to South Africa or South Africa or other people, like we had a lot of work at Koj from African artists regularly coming to Koj with an independent artist space in Delhi, right? And also moving into Southeast Asia as well. And the emergence of the South-South Binale. If you look at the number of Binales, which have kind of popping up all over the global south. You have a Kuala Lumpur Benale, the first Kuala Lumpur Benale last year. You have the Kochi Benale in its sixth, fifth year, fourth year. You have won the efforts to resurrect the Johannesburg Benale. All of these are efforts within the global south for its own position or its own place within the global art world. And it is extremely important. I mean, I'm going to say something extremely controversial here. Even though I think that South Africa thinks itself to be more part of Europe than it thinks itself to be part of the global South. And that's a long discussion I've been having with some artists from South Africa. So I think South African artists are always addressing themselves not to other global South connections or even to Africa, South African artists essentially address themselves to Europe. Atul, thanks very much for that provocation. I think it maybe that might be the focus of a further discussion, dialogue in the future. I certainly would like to be part of that. And I think it's very important that that provocation is made. And I think it's very important that it's made in relation to what we are trying to evolve in the School of Arts at WITS. So I think there's huge potential for us to continue that dialogue, and I hope we'll be able to do that. What I'm going to do now, though, is to allow people that are part of this dialogue to pose further questions or to make comments. So I'd like to open that up to people who are in the room. Hi, Atul. This is Brett speaking. Building on your comments now, I'd like to invite you to speak to a comment that I heard our Vice-Chancellor at the University make last week, on which I think we're going to be having an emerging principled disagreement with him. So in a way, I'm sort of reaching out for an endorsement from you. 
Now, he's a political scientist by training, and in, in a dialogue we had with the Mellon Foundation last week on the occasion of their 30th anniversary of supporting work in South Africa, there was a gathering of colleagues to talk about the ways in which the humanities are engaging critical questions at this time. And he voiced the opinion, and I, I need to test him on this to make sure that I understand him correctly, but that is that he finds arts-based research to be very effective in eliciting a kind of empathetic response. But he, as a political commentator, often feels that it tends towards emphasizing the tragic, and I'm assuming the emotive. And he voiced the opinion that it might not be as alive as it should be to questions of power. Now, I think we would want to disagree, and the particular ways in which you work in the Watershed Project, but also more generally, seems to me to offer us some very helpful examples of the ways in which we engage with questions of power from an aesthetic and epistemological point of view. And I wondered if you'd like to just speak to that from the perspective of your own work. I would disagree with him completely because what I was doing and I think most artists within the subcontinent where I work for are continuously contesting notions of power and not dwelling on the tragic because the tragic is already there within the journalistic field. And artists usually, that's why it depends on what you do with your research. You have to look between the lines, you have to look between the lines of tragedy, you have to look between the lines of trauma to find those things which questions the power or questions notions of power. That's my strategy. We cannot dwell within tragedy all the time. And this is also a problem of how you use the archive. Because if you use the archive only as a notion of information, then obviously the work becomes journalistic and it may tend towards fall into the trap of tragic and the sentimental. But if the archive is used judicially and moves away from the journalistic into the more contemplative, then it will result in more notions of challenging notions of power. Thank you very much. Any other questions or comments for Atul? I mean, again, I think that, Brett, your question and Atul, your response, I think that is probably deserving of an entire dialogue. I must say, I think there's work to be done with our Vice-Chancellor if after having been at the opening of the watershed event and been in the installation, he doesn't understand, and you know, I, I know I'm crudifying this, but he doesn't understand how that installation speaks very, very particularly to issues of power in, in Johannesburg and South Africa and beyond. But yes, we're building up a whole agenda of further possibilities for dialogues here, which is, is fantastic. But other comments or questions? Thank you so much for a very productive presentation. Perhaps I think David has raised important questions that also relate to students. I'm doing my MA, so this creative thinking through visuality or creative research is very much important. It's always in the process and we'll be looking forward to hear in terms of the development from the student side of view because I think this is an ongoing conversation. So, yeah, just to say that thank you so much and we'll be looking forward to hear more in terms of how this creative research has been received. Thanks, Terence. Um, hi, Atul. Uh, my name is Reshma. I'm working with the theory of rasa and I'm relating it okay. also to the notion of water. And I'm also looking okay. at how identities are then formed around this notion of water. 
So if you can just tell me why you also used water, because unfortunately I didn't come to the walkabout, so I didn't uh, have the opportunity to ask you, but how would you relate this notion of water to Rasa? Because I also think that uh, this creative practice that we engage with is like this pagalpan I just saw now as your icon there. And this pagalpan that we keep looking and searching and should I say knitting or crocheting this idea of identity and water and emotion and uh, how, what is your take on that? See, the thing is that I, I work with water, I have a very simple answer because the sense that water is an extremely contested element at home. I think you people in Johannesburg are privileged to have a 24-hour supply of water. Back home in Delhi or even in most India, we get only one hour supply in the morning and one hour supply in the evening. And within that one hour, we fill our overhead tank and wash whoever. Earlier, when I was growing up, there was no overhead tanks. Within that one hour, you have to do your washing, cleaning, cooking, etc. and fill up for the rest of the day. Right. So it is discipline the same step today. Instead of the water waking up to a tap filling a bucket, these days I still wake up to the water running and I have to switch on the motor to fill up the overhead tank because water is going to be available only one hour a day from the from the municipality. So the thing is that we are still working within contested essential resources. And that's why water is important to me. And I have used mythology, whereas quite a number of times in a work on mythology, which kind of addresses the notion of rasa through mythology. I do not use rasa directly in terms of what it means within water, what it doesn't. I am not a scholar of the Nate Shastra or of the aesthetics, but I have used water as a trope to understand how we function as a civilization because we revere our rivers, they are goddesses to us and what does that mean in the current context where most of our rivers are extremely polluted and two of our rivers are the largest polluters ocean, largest amount of plastics come out of the Yamuna and the Ganges falls into the of Bengal, right, which is highly contaminated to the oceans. Right? So how do we live in these times and what do we play to and what rasa do we get? Even though the whole application of rasa within the notions of aesthetics goes into a different field, but I work more directly. That's what I would like to say. And even though I use the Mahabharata, but I don't usually, I, I kind of reformulate things for contemporary time. Thanks, Atul. I think we're going to close the dialogue there. I'd just like to say thank you very, very much for being present with us this afternoon. I think that for myself, and I think I can speak for others as well, I think that you've provided us with a whole range of possibilities to deepen our thinking around artistic research, around what we're doing in the School of Arts, but I also think that, and I, I hope that you'll agree to this, I hope that we can call on you for at least another two sessions, whether they be one-on-one, -on -one, uh, well, with you personally or with a group of people. But I think you've introduced a number of very, very exciting possibilities that we should be extending over the next year or so. You've been listening to a dialogue between Atul Bala and David Andrew on the topic, Where Do You Look for Lost Water? 
Autistic Research and Environmental Politics in the Global South. I'm Christo Doherty, and this is part of an ongoing series of discussions, seminars, and workshops under the theme, New Concepts, New Challenges, New Formats, envisaging the Creative Work PhD in an African research university. This podcast was produced by Elna Schutz and was funded by the Andrew F. Mellon Foundation as part of their funding for the Arts Research Africa project. The song used in this podcast is Decompress by Lee Rosviere, licensed via Creative Commons Attribution 3.0.